0: welcome to the dividing line a road trip dividing line one that almost didn't happen and uh who knows if it still will um i've had four and a half minutes to prepare to actually do the program because i've been doing all the stuff we've got to do and it seems like our 5g connection router fried um even though I ordered in a fan for it today, maybe, may have, may have been too late for that. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll find out. We're literally running through an iPad right now. (laughs) And and I, I was going to have to get the Starlink out and you, you can't just go over and hit start Starlink. You've got to get it out, get it set up. You got to do stuff up in the sky. There's, there's, you know, it's not something can be done really quickly. And so we were going to have to be delayed. And I was, uh, hadn't had anything since breakfast this morning, drove for many, many hours, and while making a super healthy hot dog, uh, all of a sudden I thought, well, wait, could we do it that way? And so we changed everything around, and here we are. Um, We are live in our uh, studio, and we have multiple cameras that we can use and say hi, and and you can see stuff behind me now and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, whatever. So here we are. But I'm not feeling overly prepared <laughs> for the actual substance of the program because I'm spending all my time on other stuff. But we'll get all that figured out, hopefully, and maybe not fry stuff and simplify as much as we possibly can um, to make all of this work. Because I'm doing another program live this evening. So this has to work. And actually, in a sense, it's probably best that we did what we had to do because I'm going to have to use Zoom um, tonight for another program. At least I think it's Zoom. We'll find out. It needs to be, I guess. Um, I'm going to be on with Eli Ayala. We're going to be talking about Mormonism. And uh, so that'll be nine o'clock Eastern time. Um, So a few hours down the road, maybe I'll have a chance to actually eat uh, between now and then. What am I seeing here? I am seeing uh, an announcement just now um, that Tucker Carlson is is going to do a program. It says Tucker plus Elon. So Elon is is going to make the Tucker Carlson thing happen. What on Twitter or something? I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, it does look like it's yeah, it's going to be on on Twitter. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean honestly, um Elon Musk buys Twitter and then turns it into like something that could like crush legacy media. <laughs> that would be I don't know. I don't know. What can I say? Um I'm just sitting in a in a fifth wheel and uh we're we be we be talking Okay, so we are in Conway, Arkansas. Well, I'm not technically in Conway, Arkansas, but I'm, this is—I'm um, only a matter of feet from the uh, spot I was at a year ago, February, uh, when I experienced my first ice storm in an RV. <laughs> and if you—if you'd like, let me offer from my now wider range of experience as an rv person (laughs) when you have an ice storm you may see lots of water coming off your unit because ice is melting fine but remember something you may have an entire sheet of ice on the top of your slide outs at that time i only had one slide out and i figured everything had melted i didn't get up on a ladder to look and i put the slide out in if you don't know what a slide out is there's a slide out right here it's a it's a part on rails that goes out so it gives you much more room inside and it comes in while you're traveling and i have to explain that because i didn't know what a slide out was until you know 2 years ago less than 2 years ago and I got to my next stop and I remember it was right when Josh Vice was calling me on the phone to talk about the Washington G3 thing that happened last year that he was inviting me to. And I get inside the unit and there's water all over the floor because I had gone south and it was much warmer. And what I didn't realize is there was a sheet of ice, probably, I don't know, it's probably only about that thick, right it wasn't all that much, but um, and it melted inside the unit and it comes down off you know down on the floor, and I was literally talking to josh on my hands and knees with paper towels and other towels uh, wiping up the floor of the other r v um so just something to remember if you're ever in an ice storm and um uh, so I was right here in this park uh I was teaching that was uh apologetics, I think for. Grace Bible Theological Seminary, and I got to drive in, in the ice, um, which we we Phoenicians, we, we can handle melting roads, <laughs> frozen roads with that icy stuff on it, not nearly as fun, not nearly as fun at all. So um, anyway, so here we are, and uh, Thursday night, Uh, we are going to be having an evening with James White. And I'm going to be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which I have obviously shared on this program many, many, many times before and uh, uh, spoken about. And I've often said, and evidently someone at the seminary was listening, I've often said that Christian scholars should have 1 Corinthians chapter 1 preached to them They should at least read it, but it would probably be good to have it preached to them um, twice a year just simply to counteract the constant temptation that comes from being involved in quote-unquote academia to embrace and love the wisdom of the world or to be embarrassed about the foolishness of God which is wiser than the world and stronger than the world and all that kind of stuff. But the temptation is extremely strong. And uh, so Thursday night here, uh, you know, I'm not even sure what the location is, whether it's going to be at the seminary or at the new church building. I will have to look. So they can't start without me, (laughs) but we'll find out. Um, But that'll be Thursday night. And I think there's an announcement on the GBTS um, website uh, for that. And then this uh, weekend, and I'm just looking at all the windows and stuff that I have open here, um, trying to find stuff. This uh, weekend, I will be just north of um, Nashville. I believe it's just north of Nashville. It's sovereign. It's... um, Sovereign Grace Church of Greenbrier, Tennessee. But this is also known as White House, Tennessee. Um, so I will be in um, the uh, preaching in the morning. My understanding is they have like a morning service and then they break for fellowship meal and then have something a little less formal afterwards. A lot of churches have been doing that. Instead of having a morning service, evening service, you just cram it all together. In essence, that's what we do at Apologia, except we just make the service really, really long. <laughs> um, in essence, that's... Anyway, so uh, this Sunday, uh, I will be uh, at Sovereign Grace Church of Greenbrier. Um, Mark Rimaldi is the pastor there, and I knew him back when he was a uh on Long Island when I would go back there and I was mainly at uh, Grace Reformed Baptist Church and Hope Reformed Baptist Church. And then there was a Faith Reformed Baptist Church way out on the far end of the island. And uh, for years and years, we were going out there and very much attached to all the folks out there. And and uh, that was in the 90s and early 2000s. So like 20 years ago. But anyway, that's where I'll be uh, this coming Sunday. And then the Sunday thereafter, uh, I'll be with Derek Melton. Uh, at um, his church in Pryor, Grace Life Church in Pryor and um, we will, will be doing a knife throwing contest. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, as you may know, Derek makes tremendous knives. By the way, by the way, um, we, we'll, we'll get around to that Bible eventually. We'll get around to that Bible eventually. Lord willing. Trust me um we'll we'll get there i, I not forgetting about it but uh rich and i were running around like a like chickens with heads cut off just now trying to get everything working uh it will get easier to do we hope over time the problem is the more the more parts you have to any system um the more things can break and that's sort of what we're dealing with um with all the stuff that that we've got going on here so just real quickly um, this past weekend, uh, I was with Joel Webbin uh, in Georgetown, Texas. We had a full conference. I mean, we were sold out. There really wasn't any room for anybody, anything more than what we had. And, uh, lots of, lots of folks that, well, actually there were, there was a at least a couple folks from Apologia that were there, which was interesting. And I got to talk to some folks from uh, Jeff Neal's church. Uh, Jeff Neal and I wrote the same sex controversy together uh, back in 2000. And I actually got to, uh, on Sunday, uh, Jeff and his wife, Denise, they were speaking in sort of the next town over. And so we got in touch and we, got together that afternoon just some, you know, for about an hour and 20 minutes or so. Uh, I talked too much, <laughs> but we got caught up on lots and lots of stuff. And it was great to see him. Hadn't seen him since he'd had his stroke a number of years ago. He was doing great. Uh, his memory was sharp. And, uh, of course, he, had, he and I go back a long way. I would say 19... It could have been as early as like eighty three. It could be like 40 years. Neither one of us could remember exactly how we first met, whether it was at North Phoenix Baptist Church, whether it was at Breeding Christian Bookstore where he worked. Um, he was a year ahead of me at Grand Canyon College. And then he took like two years off before he went to Fuller Seminary. And I went straight into Fuller when I graduated. So I was a year ahead of him um, at Fuller. And um, we had a lot of... It, it was great talking about... It was interesting. The things he remembered were the things that not only had I remembered, but I had talked about to lots of people over the years. I I remember very clearly him coming to my apartment one night after class... I'd already graduated, and he was in tears. He the the battle was so intense, and the mockery of believing in God's election or the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. And he was just like, "How did you do it? I I just don't know if I can if I can press through this." And I remember that night uh, very very clearly. I'm very thankful that I still remember those types of things because they were important. They were really important. And, um, um, so we, it was great getting together with him. He's, he's has pastored the CREC church, um, over in the Fort Worth area for many, many years. And, uh, I've had the opportunity of speaking there once and hopefully now that we've hooked up again. I'll get a chance to do that again, um, in the future. Cause I go through that area, um, all the time. And now we have the proper, you know how you know you've you've known somebody for a long 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 time? You look at your phone and you've got like six numbers for them and five of them don't exist anymore. <laughs> they 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 haven't had that number in decades, but you still have it because well that's that's how that sort of works. But anyway, uh so uh Joe Boot was there. And, uh, Joe, really sorry I never got to say goodbye to you, but I didn't. Um, but uh, I spoke on Friday and Saturday, spent hours talking with folks, um, hearing their testimonies, and, and uh, again, extremely encouraging. This, uh, this webcast has – I've, I've lost track now of how many people have called it a lifeline. An absolute lifeline for people that were in really difficult, hard situations, dire straits, um, and in ways that we could have never predicted. We could not have, uh, you know, tried to make it work that way. It just, um, and since we've never spent a dime advertising this program, how it gets to people is truly amazing. (laughs) I mean, it really, really is. And so I was talking to some people. You know, well, I've heard about you because I was watching Jeff Durbin, and and so he mentioned you, and then your stuff started popping up, and and then vice versa. You know, I found out about Apologia because we were watching you. You know, it, it's just how that that's worked that way for a very, very long time. But some a lot of really touching conversations and testimonies uh, from people. It was uh, uh, very useful. I don't know when the presentations will be uh, posted. They were uh, recorded. I also recorded some stuff. The same folks that did the "As It Is in on Earth, As It Is in Heaven" movie had already re- interviewed me. Oh man, at least a year ago at Apologia Studios, and we did another interview. Uh, this time for I don't know if it's going to be the same movie or another movie or a documentary. I I, I don't know, but uh, we recorded a lot of stuff and. I spoke on um, topics that amongst most evangelicals today have the same attraction as the name Voldemort. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, So yes, I actually spoke on uh, post-millennialism. I spoke on general equity theonomy. Uh, And Sunday morning, I hope this was the Lord, Uh preached on the connection, because I had never thought of the connection before. I was going to preach out of uh, Acts and Paul's interaction with Felix. Um I had preached that section at Apologia in Salt Lake City, what, two months ago now? The first weekend in April. And I was going to go there again. And then Sunday morning, uh, one of the questions that had been asked during the seminar was about hyperpreterism, And I had said a good way to detect it is to see what someone does with Acts 17, 30 and 31. And if they say that the judgment that Paul is speaking of in Acts 17.31 has already taken place in Jerusalem. You're probably talking to a hyper And so that question had come up and and um, when it first came up, Joel addressed it and addressed it. And I, I don't think Joel realized he went about at least 10 minutes in response to that question. So much so that I was sort of tapping on on Joe and they stay awake there, man. And because he was just going and going and going and going and going. And, uh, we're all just like, uh, well, thanks for having us here, Joel, you know? And, uh, so at first I didn't comment on it, but I thought, you know, I, I do need to make a comment about this later on. And I sort of threw it in just because the term mellow and I'm going to, I need to, I need to write an entire paper on this. And I, it, it's something I want to do and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, then a little busy, it's sort of hard to write on the road. Um, but I want to comment on the fact that in Acts 1731, the term mellow, melantos, is used there. And the hyperpreterists get confused because very often mellow means about to happen, very soon to happen. There's normally a contextual clue to that. but And the word appears in Acts 1731, But Acts and Luke and Hebrews are much more classical Greek than they are Koine Greek. And there's much more complex syntax involved. And what you have in Acts 17 and 31 is actually translated by the Legacy Standard Bible as certainly, Uh, I I wasn't going to talk about this, but uh, I did find it really interesting, um, some of the neat stuff uh, 1731. The neat stuff that I'm saying that I'm seeing in the Legacy Standard Bible because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Um, And the, the hyper says, which he is about to, it's going to happen in just a few years in Jerusalem, is when this judgment of the entire inhabited world is going to take place. Um, And so... I was thinking about that, and all of a sudden it struck me that there was a very clear connection between what Paul says to Felix because Felix, he's hes reasoning with him, he's declaring to him, he's talking with him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, and Felix becomes afraid. And so here, and that's outside the context of the church. He's talking to someone, he's talking to a magistrate. He's talking to a person who has the, the power to, to free him and, and Paul's like, may have the power to free me, but I need to tell him the truth, even if it's offensive to him, or it scares him, which it did. But think about, he's talking to someone out, outside the church, Felix, and in Acts 17, he's talking to the elites, the philosophical elites. Um, And what does he talk to about them? Judgment? Judgment to come? And uh, so there is a real connection between the two. And so that those were the the two texts I put together and uh, did make a... Um, get a little more air uh, going. I only have one AC unit going. It's warm here today. It, I, my thermometers down there are saying mid-90s, so it's uh, pretty toasty. Uh, it, it was helpful to exhort everyone... You know, here's here's an example of a Christian apostle speaking to powers outside of the church, and what does he do? Um, I can guarantee you, when he's speaking to Felix concerning righteousness, self control, and the judgment to come, he's doing that on the basis of the scriptures. Remember, Felix's wife was a Jewess, and so he knew more about the way than many other people did. But there's no New Testament for him to be quoting from. And so he would be utilizing the scriptures. He'd be utilizing the Hebrew scriptures as the grounds of this uh, moral exhortation to the magistrate himself. And uh, I think that's that's significant. And you put the two together. And um, so hopefully, I'm, I'm assuming that was recorded as well. And so I'm hoping that that will all be posted and, and we'll link to it. And uh, again, it was really great to uh, meet everybody and to see everybody. Uh, it was uh, done real well. And by the way, uh, Joel wanted me to say something. I had made comment at at some point before the seminar, before I even left, about some of the young men and the uh, kind of immaturity uh, that is being demonstrated by attempting to force consensus through, shall we say, meme terrorism, (laughs) something along those lines. And uh, I was not referring to Joel. Some people assumed uh, that that was the case, and it it wasn't. Um, Joel's a young guy, and he doesn't want to necessarily uh, cut himself off from other young guys, but he also recognizes, and I certainly uh, exhorted himself and others, uh, to recognize the necessity for patience and maturity. There's a section, and by the way, the uh, sweater vest dialogue finally dropped, um, that I discussed Doug Wilson's new book, Mere Christendom, uh, and there's a section in our conversation where Doug says the same thing. And that is a lot of young guys um, get hold of something like uh, post-millennialism and they all of a sudden just want, they want it accomplished now. It it needs to be accomplished now. Uh, There's no time Uh, everybody needs to get on board now and if you don't, we're going to cancel you and we're going to, there's certain terms that are utilized um, to describe people who will not just immediately jump on board with some type of Christian nationalist uh, tag or something along those lines. And I see this, Doug sees this, both Doug and I agree that the only way that any kind of meaningful submission of the nations to Jesus Christ is going to take place. And despite the number of people who say, "But that's not a biblical view, there are promises of that. <laughs> Psalm 2 seems to be saying that. Um, the only way that's going to happen is, from a Reformed perspective, recognizing God's ability to save his elect. And if we can say right now, in the midst of great judgment, God's still saving His elect, what about when He chooses to save a whole bunch of His elect all at once? What kind of impact is that going to have on a society if if God all of a sudden pours His Spirit out upon that 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 society? So, but the point is, there needs to be patience. It's it, you can't. I learned a long time ago, you know, I evidently there's cage stage Calvinism, there's cage stage Christian nationalism too. And the cage stagers don't recognize in either one that it's the spirit of God that has to be the one bringing these things about. I can't, that's why I've always just looked at, at, And it's great temptation. I see it all the time. I see people. They start seeing the sovereignty of God. They start seeing I'm seeing election. And then all of a sudden, well, if you don't believe this, you must not be a Christian. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How long did it take you to come to find out about this? How how many years did you not recognize? How many years were you inconsistent? Uh, Don't don't do this um, cage stage type stuff. Uh, You've got to be patient. The best... uh, you know, I have led, without necessarily being the one who did it personally, my work, this program, Potter's Freedom, God's Sovereign Grace, et etc., cetera, et cetera, has been used to lead many, many thousands of people into the reformed Faith, and then they lead others, and they lead others, and it's it, it it it's wonderful. That's one of the things I love about traveling like this: to get to meet people that we're at that same place. You don't do that by being a cage stager you do that by being consistent over time biblical over time um and so if you're convinced of your position of christian nationalism okay i don't i don't like that term all right i really don't There's some kids playing outside and i heard a bump i wasn't sure what was going on but um uh I don't. I don't like the term personally, and I, I don't use the term uh, unless what you mean by Christian nationalism is blesses is a nation whose God is Yahweh, sin is a rebuke to any people, and um, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. If you if you mean by that that a nation that wants God's blessings will not reject God's ways, great, fine. Um, that's obviously not enough for a lot of people. And especially the stuff that we've seen from um, Stephen Wolf recently uh, is even more troubling along those lines in regards to not needing um, exegesis and a major work of the spirit and stuff like that. That's what I was going to pull up. And now i I'm not even certain now that I think about it uh where in the world that would be because I did in fact now that I think about it i I saved that before I left yeah, okay, I think i whoa, I think I may have found um. Well I I found some of it because Toby and Stephen Wolf had an interesting uh exchange. Um yeah, yeah, okay, I'm well all right, let me apologize ahead of time here. Because once again, it's that situation where um I have multiple screenshots And they're not in proper order, which is problematic. But I wasn't, like I said, I had, after all the technical stuff, I had about four or five minutes to prep. Um, Back to where I was for a moment. There's just so much other stuff being attached to this debate. And I've said on Twitter, uh, if maturity and patience does not become the hallmark of the movement that's calling itself the Christian nationalist movement, if consistent sound theology is not a hallmark of what calls itself the Christian nationalist movement, then what you're going to have is you're going to have about 40 different groups And every one of them would be able to hold their national conference in the meeting room at the back of the Holiday Inn. And they'll be busy anathematizing each other. And the reason I say this is I've seen it happen before. I've seen it happen before. I can't help but think of uh, Jerry Matatix. Jerry Matatix, Catholic Answers, Apologist extraordinaire, right? And yet, for years and years, I don't know what he's doing today, but 15 years ago, he was literally meeting with a dozen people in the back of a holiday inn because he had become this wild eyed Sede vacantist. And the Sede vacantist groups, for those of you not familiar with the terminology, Sede vacantist means the seat is empty. There is no valid pope right now. It's normally associated with that being valid orders. Priests, things like that, um, frequently connected with Vatican II and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But all those groups, there's a bunch of those teeny tiny little Roman Catholic groups, and they hate each other more than they hate people that are farther away from them. That's part of human, um, just a human way things are. The closer people are to you, the more likely these are going to divide from them, and that's what's going on in that context. And so, anyway, if there is not a, you know, the only the only positive stuff I see about Christian nationalism is the assertion that we need to understand sphere sovereignty. Oh, oh, oh! And by the way. by the way. It's been a while since we had last program, and even then, last program isn't here, it was our first one, we didn't want to have to do anything negative, and all this, that kind of stuff. Ah, Sacralism. Sacralism. Who knew that by using a term that's been used by dozens of people in publications for decades... And that has an easily looked up meaning. I mean, I don't know how many times I used the term when we were in Germany um, in that context, uh, telling people about what was going on there. But, you know, I just realized the sun's going to be coming right through that window in a second. And that's going to get really bright. So, hey, live video... Watch this. This is how you reach over and grab grab a shade and you uh, get rid of the sun. That <laughs> is a little bit lighter, a little bit darker, isn't it? Yeah, well, okay. Uh, yeah. ta-da. And I'm in control of it now. I don't I don't have to look up and go, oh, uh, oh, <laughs> I control the horizontal and the vertical. <laughs> it's fun. Anyway, what were we talking about here? Oh, yes. Um Sacralism is simply what happened in what we might call Christendom 1.0, to, to borrow Doug's terminology, where sphere sovereignty was not understood and was clearly violated. Now it is interesting. Rome during the Inquisition yes would would have their own priests and others doing torture and things like that for the good of those who were being tortured. Because what they were doing was attacking Christendom. And that's why Luther knowing Fritz Erba was in that uh, pit left him there because Martin Luther concluded that the danger for Christendom represented by Fritz Erba was a greater thing than the torture of a Christian believer who on every other subject would agree with luther but on this one issue which became in those early decades the very definition of what christendom would be infant baptism on that one issue there was disagreement and therefore from luther's perspective he uh, he's got to go and he did it took him seven years but he's got to go So, sacralism is that situation where the biblically defined spheres coalesce and yet Rome still technically, when it came to execution, said that they were turning someone over to the secular state And it wasn't the church that was executing him. And when it was torture, that was considered to be a spiritual thing. And hence within the realm of the church. But to burn at the stake, um, the state had to do that. And so the church turned you over. Now, the state didn't have any choice. Unless they themselves wanted to run foul of the church. So it was a An empty distinction, but still, they tried to make the distinction. So, when the wolves went after me, because I used the term, this is when the sort of S dialogue dropped, and immediately it was like, well, sacralism isn't a thing. I think you just made it up. And then it's continued since then, and I'm like, well, just look it up. Well, you know, it's just not all that popularly uh, utilized and stuff. Who cares? Especially on this particular topic, it's central and vital, and it's an accurate description of what Calvin was, but what Calvin laid the Uh, foundation for ending, unintentionally, unintentionally. And so it's vitally important. And I was just stunned, again, just the immaturity of the interactions from people. And again, I see stuff that I don't appreciate from all sides, but my goodness, it does seem to me that most of the snarky, shallow, I don't care if I really don't have anything to say on this subject, I'm going to say it anyways, type stuff has been coming from the quote-unquote Calvinist Christian nationalists. It's just it's just what I'm seeing. And maybe that's because they want to shoot at me because... I won't uh, utilize this to divide. Um, You know, even before this CN stuff started, as far as utilization of the terminology, the folks at Grace Bible Theology Seminary, which is where I am right now, had arranged for the G3 pre conference conference. That will include basically all of the, pretty much, well, the majority of the uh, professors at the seminary are going to be there. And so uh, Owen Strand's going to be there. I'm pretty sure Jess Moore is going to be there. Uh, Jeff Johnson's going to be there. Uh, Josh Bice is going to be there. Uh, And Scott Aniel's going to be there. And they've asked me to be there. Now, I am the odd man out. I'm the, the postie, the post-millennialist, the uh, general equity theonomist. And uh, Scott is, I believe, a pre pre-millen- premillennialist, at least from what I'm getting from what I'm reading. Most of the other guys are amil. So we have a number of different perspectives, but the subject is church and state, post-millennialism, bimillennialism, dispensationalism, theonomy, I would say, if you're going to throw a theonomy in, you need to throw autonomy into too. Um, secular autonomy, uh, secular liberalism, whatever. And so, we're not going to be uh, ripping each other's faces off, which I'm afraid some people, that's what they hope would happen, uh, is that there would be blood on the floor afterwards, they'd be mopping it up uh, but there's going to be disagreement. And um, my desire is that we will be able to demonstrate how to handle disagreement as Christian brothers who agree on so much. That requires maturity. It requires patience. It requires a long view. And if, and if you want to claim to be a Christian nationalist quote-unquote if you have a long view you're not going to make it dude you're not going to make it the only way any of this makes sense is in the long view it's in the, the lay the foundations for future generations view and if you've got the idea that no we're doing this now we're going to get the meme war started like i said 10 years from now it's just going to be a joke it'll be a joke people look back and go oh yeah i remember that man that that, that face planted quickly and I was like, yeah, yeah it did. Uh, if you don't have the maturity, if you don't have the long view, don't have the foundation, it's going nowhere. So with that said, I, went, I hadn't even thought about this. I, again, only had a few minutes. Um, the Stephen Wolf thing, it sort of started with this one. and This was May 3rd. And, man, I wish that So many, when you do screenshots, it says 13 hours, 10 hours, stuff like that, instead of providing the date, you know, and so you don't necessarily, eh, frustrating. Hey, don't, don't get me wrong. Twitter has improved massively under Elon Musk, hasn't it? I mean, I still think there's some prejudice. I don't think Elon's gotten rid of everybody yet that I don't know if he can get rid of everybody that wouldn't be pulling some shenanigans in the back room, but it's improved a lot. It really, really has. Um, The number of ads has certainly increased, but in general, uh, to be able to communicate, it's improved a lot. And one of the things that I saw here I suppose I could probably switch over to some other screen while I'm taking a drink. (laughs) Look more professional. But on May 3rd, so six days ago, Stephen Wolf on Twitter. uh, Christian politics. Well, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, there it goes. Hey, hey, you proud of me, Rich? You should be. You should be sitting back there going, "Well done, Padawan." I <laughs> am very proud. <laughs> the voice comes from nowhere. I don't know where it comes from. Okay, um, Christian politics derived entirely from exegesis is largely driven by the demands of democracy and modern education. Because energizing the masses requires you to appeal to what the masses know. Pre-modern Christian politics was informed by reason, experience, e.g. pagan sources, and scripture. Because the few, not the many, participated in politics and they knew far more than the Bible. So your pre-mill or whatever exegesis is a product of very modern conditions. Now, Rich hasn't taught me the oh, 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 hold on. Ah, ah. But look how small it is. Rich, I thought we fixed that. It was supposed to be bigger than that. But I did get the PNP in. But the um but the size is look at that. No one can read that. Ah. Well, we gotta fix the size. But I hey, I tried. I, I gave it I gave it a shot. And I know Rich tried to fix that. I sat here watching him go forty percent, not twenty-five percent. And so he he tried, but we'll get it. We'll get it. We're working on it. The the number of details are many, 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 many many details. Um, So, going back to what we uh, what we have here, this was the first time I really saw the connection between Stephen Wolfe's Thomism and where he's really going with this. suggestion that he's making this program that he's laying out here and i immediately i'm immediately like going where have i heard this language before? where have i heard reason and experience e.g. pagan sources uh and then scripture yeah you know um, because the few not the many participate in politics and they knew far more than the bible oh yes yeah, we there's you know, that Bible, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important, but, you know, there's a lot more to know than that, you know. So your post-mill or pre-mill or whatever exegesis is a product of very modern conditions. Um, boy, we can unpack that if we wanted to, by a long shot. But Christian politics derived entirely from exegesis is largely driven by the demands of democracy and modern education. Why? Well, because energizing the masses requires you to appeal to what the masses know. The masses aren't experts in the Bible. They're not experts in exegesis either. Christian politics derived from exegesis, well, first of all, you can't derive all of, quote-unquote, what's Christian politics? Are we talking about the principles upon which, Christians should seek to be active in the world as representatives of Christ and proclaiming his lordship and literally saying Christ does reign now and you must submit to the son or his wrath will come upon you because you as the magistrate are responsible to do that. That's really the key. That's really the key because um, I was thinking about getting into it today, but I, I probably won't. Um, when I listened to um, Dr. Aniel's response to Mere Christendom, I detected a lot of R2K uh, patterns of thought. R2K is radical to kingdom theology, primarily as promoted out of Escondido, uh, Westminster and Escondido. And um, so much of this conversation really comes down to Things like, um, when was Daniel 7 fulfilled? Has it been fulfilled? Has Christ been enthroned in power? Has Matthew 28 actually been fulfilled? Has all authority been given to him in heaven and earth? Is he exercising that authority? How do you relate Matthew 28, Psalm 2, Daniel 7, uh, Isaiah 42, uh, 1 Corinthians 15? These are all top-level These are not, this is not someplace where you're arguing about some obscure text in, in an apocryphal work necessarily. We're talking here about texts that the New Testament writers clearly see as specifically about Christ. And I mean, you look at Psalm 110, Psalm 2, it is plain beyond question that when the Lord Jesus ministered to his apostles after his resurrection and he opened their minds to understand the scripture, Those are the scriptures he opened their minds to. Those are the scriptures he explained. So those should be primary in our understanding, right? And so if Christ is enthroned, then Psalm 2 comes to have a meaning. Psalm 110 comes to have a meaning. And we in the church have a responsibility to proclaim to the magistrate, the will of the son. That doesn't make make us lords over the magistrate. It makes us prophets. Just as the prophets of old had to go to the king and say, king, here's what the Lord's will is. Well, we've been given the Lord's will. And so, if, if that's the case, then that's going to have some kind of impact. But, in the, in the discussion that took place, and like I said, I've got three screens here, um, Toby Sumter, and again, Toby and I have crossed swords, but Toby and I are normally on the exact same page. And I just simply have to say, it has been a great honor to stand in the pulpit at Christ Church with Doug Wilson seated right there and to open the word of God. And they've never told me what I can and cannot talk about. They've trusted me. And I want to keep that trust by not engaging in behavior that would be inappropriate in that context. And I've stood in Toby's pulpit as well. And it was a great honor. And when you do that, if you've never done that, it may be difficult for you to understand why you would be willing to bend over backwards to think the best of what somebody has to say and what somebody is actually saying. Um, But Toby said to Stephen Wolf, uh, happy to talk about avoiding a narrow biblicism, but Wasn't the Reformation all about returning the Scripture to the masses so that would inform their reasoning and experience and politics? Why do we want to return to a pre-modern world where access to Scripture was rare? Now, are you hearing the connections here? What we're hearing amongst Reformed Baptists is we we need to go back to pre-modern exegesis. Modern exegesis has made mincemeat out out of the Confession. We need to go back to the great tradition. Or if you're the Craig Carter fan, you need to be a Christian Platonist. If you're a James Dolezal fan, uh, Aristotle's the the way to go Um, via Thomas, of course. Same conversation, different application. Um, And clearly, Thomism has massive implications because just as Trent, made his theology the theology of Rome, it also used his theology as a foundation for its political perspectives as well. Um, That's important. So Stephen Wolf responds, the Reformation in this regard was about teaching truth to the masses from lawful authorities so that the people can have true knowledge and exercise true faith. Well, that's a truncated view if I've ever seen one. Toby says, right, but was grounded in a true understanding of the foundational authority of Scripture. You don't get the explosion, a modern political freedom, should be of modern political freedom, apart from Luther and Calvin and thousands of others preaching and teaching the whole Bible, to the masses, in the vernacular. I don't doubt that a certain freedom comes out of Protestantism. Still, politics is a human thing, and arises from the natural constitution of man and reflection on the book of nature and experience. Ding 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 ding. There's your tomism. There's your that's why I don't go this direction because there's your Thomism. Politics is a human thing and arises from the natural constitution of man. Thomas Aquinas did not have a biblical anthropology. Hello? He did not have a biblical anthropology. That means he had a false anthropology. So the natural constitution of man, as Thomas understood it, is not a biblical understanding of man. And hence will lead you into error. And reflection on the book of nature and experience. there. There, there's your ultimate authority. There's your natural theology. Same thing, same thing. And there it comes. And and certainly, I, I think I think Toby uh, sees that and um, recognizes that, and, and and was interacting with him uh, on that that very issue. But there you see the the Thomistic impact uh coming out even in this in this type of situation. And I, I found that absolutely, absolutely fascinating. So anyway, I would I would like to thank uh Regina Pryor at GBTS. She drove all the way out here. Uh, we had some packages delivered and uh our poor little we're gonna we're gonna scramble its brains, give it a factory reset, see if we can Resurrected? It. <laughs> Maybe it's just gotten some stuff messed up. I don't know. We're going to try to bring it back to life. Uh, cause we're in a good, we are in a good 5g spot here. I mean, full bars, 5g. It should be just zooming instead. I'm using my year and a half old iPad over here as our means of getting to you. Uh, we're going to try to resurrect that. But anyways, we bought this little fan thing, uh, to put those types of things on. Cause, Rich discovered there was lots of discussion in the forums about those things overheating. So we want that to be our primary way. And then secondarily will be Starlink um, because that's we're getting the other stuff put together. And may I, once again, thank everybody who has made it possible for me to be sitting here. Uh, Rich said he preferred the blue, um, but let me see if I can get this to... Okay, but I like letting it run through all the colors. So see, see it's it's changing, even in the background as as we're going along. <laughs> and you're, you're, and you're changing again. with it. <laughs> I'm changing with it. Yes, that's. I mean, if you actually, I, I'm just kind of curious. What happens if you turn it off? Rich wants to know.
1: <laughs> Rich, they let me tell me. you something. They hear you're me. Not,
0: they hear dude, dude, you're not in here and you're <laughs> a long ways away, okay? So I'm gonna do what I wanna do. But um since you say you need to find out, all right, everybody's everybody's gonna get to watch this. Whoa, whoa. Find out where we have everything hidden, all the all the stuff here. Um, oh. There it is. Well that looks good. It's just a wall it's just it's just it's just it's a bedroom wall. <laughs> Try the other camera see what it it looks like. oh that looks good <laughs> oh go turn it back on it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> This is why his office is on one end of the building. Oh, now we're at one end of the, the country. Of the In fact, right, right now I'm I don't know how many fifteen hundred miles away. Yeah, we're oh, each so end of the country, country now, almost right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, that's that. That okay, folks. I'll have to admit, I started RVing to get rid. of rid- <laughs> <rich>. That's just- <laughs> it's all there is to it. I just had to get away. No, anyway what was i i don't even know what I, you, you completely interrupted me now um, but i wanted i was saying thanks to everyone that has um gotten me out of the kitchen table gotten you know to the folks who donated the ATEM mini pro over here that i'm slowly figuring out how to how to use um we can do we'll eventually be able to be doing video and, and starting and stopping and doing all that kind of stuff. And we can do accordance. And we've got multiple cameras, 4K cameras, all this kind of neat, fun stuff. I hopefully will have someone sitting pretty much right here, though I'm not sure if I was going to do that. I have to do a stool or something, but hopefully have Derek Melton in uh, studio with me uh, when I'm um, with him uh, next week. And then we've got to schedule our first debate. Uh, on the road. Maybe maybe in July. I'm not sure exactly how that would work because I've already got all my reservations for July. You have to do that ahead of time. Uh, but maybe we'll be able to arrange uh, our first debate in here and um, and make all of it work. Thank you to everyone. We have paid off the RV. And as of yesterday, we have paid off the studio. So Rich is going to be pulling and maybe already has um pulled the um fundraiser option. Yeah, that, I already down. have yeah yeah I've already, already, already taken that down and so uh what can we say? We we made the need known and the people of God said yes we want you to be able to do this and to address these issues and to um like I said I'll be I'll be doing um a program in um uh, two hours uh, with Eli Ayala and I'll be using everything that I'm using here. And that's going to really improve my ability to do stuff like that in that context as well. And so uh, our sincere thanks to everyone uh, that that participated, uh, to a a particular friend that made the truck happen for us, to everyone that bought a uh knob for the uh for the kitchen and uh, you know the door over here i also I actually had the stuff arrived that I'm gonna put on the mirror here so you won't be looking down the down into the kitchen and stuff like that um but our our sincere thanks to all of you uh, I do feel uh not only deep gratitude to you but also a deep responsibility to drive very carefully um in uh in in in, in light of uh, how much this means despite the fact we have it all insured very well still I, I need to i need to be very very careful and i please pray for my uh uh driving skills um i've i figure i've got at least 35,000 miles now of pulling experience and so i'm definitely definitely improving um uh, and so far to Rich's astonishment, I have not destroyed anything uh, in that process. So that's that's good. That's exciting. We're very, very happy about that. So thank you very, very much for watching today. Um, I don't know exactly when we're going to get together again, but I would assume an earlier program on Thursday, if that works for Rich, um, or maybe even tomorrow. Uh, One of the two, we'll talk about what our schedules look like. um, Would be a definite possibility. Then I've got to sort of hot foot it all the way to Nashville. So the the trips will be a little little bit longer. So uh, we will see. And then then we'll be heading for prior Oklahoma. And we'll definitely get some programs in from there as well. So thank you very, very much for making this available. And thank you for watching the program today. And we'll see you next time. God bless.